0: Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Gerald Kane, a professor at Boston College and a co-author of the book, The Transformation Myth. And they discuss how digital transformation is a never-ending journey, not a destination. How handling extreme disruption has changed the workplace and what the future of hybrid workplaces could look like. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast.
1: I got the branded background. Yeah, you know it, man. I am, I am a professional book writer now.
0: I love it. I love it. Is this book number two? This
1: is book number two.
0: Why, why didn't you just get it right the first time?
1: <laughs> well, a pandemic happened in between. So, um, you know, we were the first focus of the first book was on digital transformation. And we realized as we were pitching the follow-up book that a lot of what we had previously researched really was relevant to what we were all dealing with. And so we made this pitch in March of 2020. Like we already had the meeting set up. And uh, we called an Audible in the in our pitch meeting and said, what if we investigated how companies were responding to COVID? Um, and they said, "That's great. We just need it done by November." And it was like, "Oh, crap, what have we gotten ourselves into?" Um, so we wrote a book as we were living through about the pandemic as we were living through the pandemic. so it was quite an experience.
0: Yeah, I noticed you had a couple of co-authors. How does How does all of that come together?
1: As far as our working relationship or yeah. just how did we meet each other?
0: It is Are you like, hey, I want to write a book on this topic and you just start messaging people that you know, or like, how do you get it together?
1: So, uh, my co author Ann Phillips and I have been working. She's a Deloitte, uh, she works at Deloitte, um, and we have been working together for about eight or nine years on various research, ongoing research projects. Uh, And we wrote the first book together. uh, And Jonathan Kapolsky, who is one of the co authors, was sort of the sponsor of all this research originally. Um, And so we had been working together, and, and in fact, we had decided to you know, go our separate ways and sort of do our own, explore our independent projects. Um, but then the, we had this idea to, to sort of write about how companies were leading through the pandemic and we realized we just needed all hands on deck um, for this. And so we got the band back together. Um, one new co-author, uh, a guy named Rich Nanda, who's the head of Deloitte's Monitor Strategy, strategy Practice, but um, he was invaluable for getting us good contacts, sort of getting us a team to work on this book so we could execute it. I mean, we, we went from concept to finished product in eight months. Um, and so that was that was work. Um, and we needed, we needed all the resources we could get to make that happen.
0: Have you done the Audible yet?
1: I have not. Um, I asked, in fact, we talked about this last time when I was on and I'm still mad that they won't let me do the Audible Um, version because i think i'd be good at it but they ultimately hired somebody better than i would ever be so uh it works out well
0: i was saying like we have the time we could just start recording it right now we could just start reading
1: (laughs) (laughs) just start reading 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 time once upon a time uh (laughs) in the land of you know in the covid times but you know it's interesting i went back and listened to our podcast from a year ago and it's so strange as to how much how much is exactly the same as where we were a year ago, and how much is entirely different, and it was just a weird sort of juxtaposition of we're in the same place as we are were with the pandemic this year, uh, but if we've learned so much and we've come so far.
0: tell me more man I, i'm I'm interested well,
1: now. Well, when we last talked, there were no vaccines. Um, I was getting ready to start an academic year. Um, not knowing what the hell was in store for us because it was like, it was all chaos. Um, and now we have a year under our belt and you're looking back and now we have vaccines, which are great. And, you know, we've gone through a whole political turmoil over the last year or so, change as far as that goes, um, you know, and, and yet we're still sort of wrestling with the pandemic and, and, it's, and its forces. And so it's just an interesting you know, it was a weird combination of very similar and also very different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I try not to get like political on the show. Right. Yes. But at the same time, what's happening that I think is interesting that I didn't see when I was growing up. So I'm 33. Right. And so what I didn't see growing up and I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but businesses taking stances on like political things a whole lot. But now it seems it's almost like required or expected. And, you know, I'm, very interested in business as you are, and yep. I've been watching, you know, this mandate that Biden announced. I've been watching how the businesses are responding to it, right? And there's they're asking for like clarification, and all of all of these things. There's a lot of like gray areas, but um, yeah, this whole uh, this whole new thing of work needing to take a stand on positions. I don't I don't like it personally
1: yeah and it's it boy it's a slippery slope um, yeah. because if you start taking a stance then not taking a stance is taking a stance um I know <laughs> and so it, 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 it's it's but then again you know it, it, there's some things you almost have to take a stance on and so it's just it's a tough time and actually one thing that was really you know I, I also try not to get political either um but you know the government leadership, Of whatever side i think has really dropped the ball on a number of over the entire past year on both sides you know of 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 coming together and casting a real vision for the community um and one of the things that was inspiring about the book was the number of corporate leaders that really did step up and offer genuine leadership in a time of uncertainty and a time of crisis and a time when people were afraid um and i had so many inspiring interviews with people who just were doing it right. And so when I looked at the political environment, and just got so disheartened um, as to all the infighting and, and such like that to then look at the corporate leaders who were actually sort of inspiring and comforting and having empathy to their employees um, just was amazing. And I think we are living through what will be known as the golden age of corporate leadership because in that po- absence of political leadership, corporate leaders have really stepped up um, and I think done some amazing things and not just taking, not even about taking stances on issues, but about making sure, you know, they watched out for their customers and their employees um, and, and did so in in some remarkable ways. i got good stories. If you ever want, if you want to hear any of them.
0: Yeah, please share.
1: So one great one was the health insurer Humana. Um, So insurance company, you know, health insurance and they realized in the early days of the pandemic um by you know monitoring the calls that were coming in that food insecurity was a big issue for um their their customer base and they went back and said look our mission i don't remember what their mission is but our mission is to support the health of our customers and we how can we say we're supporting the health if they're if they don't have enough food, and so Humana you know, this, nobody expected them to do this, um, but they basically ramped up the capacity to do meal provision at scale and and uh, delivered over a million meals to its members over the course of the first three months of the pandemic, and so this is this is a health insurance company this isn't what they do, and so they had to sort of figure it out they solved the problem and it was just because they perceived a need in the community that was relevant to their mission even though they had to like completely reinterpret how to enact that mission in this environment um well i just so and there there are lots of stories like that of companies sort of rethinking things you know because the pandemic upended things companies were forced to rethink and did so in some really remarkable ways another great one is is beam suntory um and i talked to those guys so they pivoted um and started making hand sanitizer in the early days. And they said, you know, we know we're not we're not medical doctors. We're not going to save the world, but this is one thing we can do. And I heard that story, um, and I thought, yeah, of course an alcohol company can make hand sanitizer. Uh, it was a non-trivial problem for them to solve, and they really needed to de- devote considerable time and effort to making it happen. They had to work things out with U.S. regulators because it wasn't even clear if they were legally allowed to do it. Um, and whether they'd be taxed uh, if they did it and gave it away. Um, And so there are all sorts of that. And then there are the logistics of how do you actually pull this off? And it was really fascinating to hear from the guys that were describing this process. And they actually had to start working with their competitors to help make this happen because they all had to sort of brainstorm how to make this happen. And they they said it was really weird to see emails coming in from our competitors' email addresses Working on this shared project. And I just thought that was inspiring to like put the competitive, uh, nature and instinct away and let's work together to solve the problem of the common good. Um, and so just stories like that were just cool to tell, cool to hear about. Um, and it, I will make one plug. Um, if you go to my website, www.profkane.com. Um, so my co-authors are from Deloitte and we had so many good, stories and good interviews that didn't make it into the book um, that we've been releasing them as a a leadership series on the wall street journal Um, and so there's a number of those where you can read these short anecdotes of what these leaders have done sort of in the midst of the pandemic
0: oh that's pretty neat because you you have to that, that was my next question or something i was interested in knowing like I do a lot of interviews. Right. And they all vary and they vary based on like the topic and the audience and, you know, they're all good in their own way. Right. And except for the ones that don't air.
1: (laughs) Um, Are you giving me a hint here, man? Yeah. I I haven't made that. I better be good or I'm not making the cut.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like, how do you, uh, how did you decide ultimately which stories went into the book because you got you had to do a lot you had to do way more than you would need to use right
1: yes um it just when we heard a good story you know and some of the interviews you know it's funny some of the interviews i did i got off and i said well that was a real stinker um that didn't work and then i i shelved it and then you know as i'm writing a book i always try to at least get one quote in from every person i mean that's just They've given me their time. I at least need to sort of find some way to use that. And a couple of those, I went back a couple, several months after I interviewed and found some real gems in there that I just missed at the time. So it's either I wasn't paying close enough attention or my thinking evolved. Um, but there wasn't... You, know, you have to show the full interviews. I just have to, to mine the gems out of them. I can't show the full interviews. So there was at least a couple of real gems in every one. That we did and then some were just extended good stories and those are the ones we're elevating to wall street journal
0: yeah and the ones that are going to be relevant to you know the transformation that's happening right now right and and yes help the most amount of people because you want to you know you want to be useful to other people you want them to you know learn from you and learn from these other companies absolutely hey so I, i i pretty sure that um topic of conversation we touched on a minute ago about taking a stance uh like as a company that's like not something Mm -hmm. you research regularly correct correct okay yeah so just just to set my understanding but i am curious (laughs) but i'm gonna
1: ask your opinion but i'm gonna ask your opinion well you interviewed
0: (laughs) (laughs) but here's what's on the top of my mind when you're talking to these people and interviewing these people does it ever come up like the the complexity of the fact that people want their company to take a stand but like all right. Super easy when you have 10 people, right. Um, yeah, very difficult when you have 10,000 people, do they, was anyone like trying to figure out how to address that or, cause you talked about transformation, right. And one of the transformation points that I believe is a key point is companies either taking a stand or not taking a stand and addressing that. And so like, have you heard any conversation about how they're thinking?
1: Yeah. You know, most, um, most of what i heard in in this time was so because you know we're also living through uh, one of the key points of the book is it's not just about covid it's about disruption Um, and if you think about the last year we not only had covid we had political disruption we're having you know racial um discussions and protests about about racial inequality climate change hasn't gone away you know it's we just had the you know um 20th anniversary of 9/11, um, you know, which many people re- reference back. Said, "I know how to lead through this because I had to lead through that or the financial crisis." So we really want to make a point that it's not about COVID. It's about how do you lead your companies through disruption. And I've got a great quote for you here in a second, um, but I don't want to dodge your question. Um, most people that. I spoke to did it in the context of their teams where they had relationships with people like we're not going out. And so one woman I talked to was head of something at shell um, and, you know, British lady and, you know, the George Floyd stuff came up and she just had a frank discussion with her team about how she felt about things. And, you know, I think one of the real benefits of the past year, because we were all sort of rocked to our core. It enabled us to have, I think, I heard authenticity and empathy uh, over and over again in these conversations. Um, and so I think we're at a really unique time to have those those conversations. And if anything, at, at the local level, or I mean, it's like the team level, it was let's set aside policies uh, and and position stances and get to know people as as real people. And I think that's where, you know, change Yeah, you're getting me off on a a little bit of a soapbox i think that's where change happens is where we recognize each other as authentic individuals and not as the labels that social media or the labels that the press wants to put on them i don't think anybody can be boiled down into you know the easy soundbite talking points that we hear on a daily basis and to break that um to break that i think is is critically important to have you know true community um, which I think we've lost a little bit over the last several years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I was talking about this for a long time that we have lacked like a vision. Like when we went to, uh, you know, the moon for the first time, the whole country yeah. was like unified towards this vision. And personally, politically, I don't care. I just would like that sort of leadership on a national level. I would like our whole nation to be driving towards like one awesome thing, you know?
1: Right. And if you look back to like, just the, to the nine eleven stuff, And all of the unifying things that happened after that, compared to what we're dealing with with COVID, where we're just infighting all the time, it's like, how do you know, what has gotten us off um, from that sort of unified message where we can disagree, but, you know, at the end of the day, we are all whether you Americans or whether, you know, part of a global community, you know, we're getting off the subject subject yeah. a little bit but um you know where have we lost that and I, and I don't think it's unique to the us i think it's broader
0: so correct me if i'm wrong so what you saw as sort of a trend with these leaders who were doing this well is that they were just being authentic um displaying empathy and connecting with their direct reports and Allowing conversations and discourse to happen so that even if they didn't agree, they could all sort of a- achieve an understanding of each other's perspectives
1: no, we we'll just have a conversation yeah. and respect each other uh, as individuals um you know my father is about is entirely different from me politically, but he's not going to stop being my father, and I'm not going to like disown him because he disagrees with me politically. We just need more of that you know type of relationship I think um. in in multiple ways. And I think, you know, when you're talking about leaders, I think it was really interesting to see was just how, particularly in the early stages of like March through May, where, you know, basically the world was upended and no, like all of our processes were disrupted and how important mission became and how important communication became and how important it was. Like the CEO of of beam Suntory said, I didn't think I would ever communicate as often as I have been communicating. Um, And the people really appreciated it. It's like, okay, we need, we're scared. We don't know what to do. And that sort of vision, uh, that communication said, reiterating the mission of the organization, really, I've never heard, again, the term North Star as many times as I did in all of our interviews, because people said, I didn't know what to do. So I just looked at this and tried to do the best that I could. And that's where I think the things like Humana came out is that would have never happened in normal times. It was because everything else had been disrupted, that there was the opportunity to do that. And what was really interesting is the number of people that I talked to, that this was so surprising to me, who saw it as just nothing but opportunity for their organization, Um, that the disruption enabled them to do things that they wanted to do for years. Um and haven't been able to do. And in fact, a lot of the data that's coming out says we've made 10 years worth of digital progress over the last 18 months. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm curious, I, I saw in the description of the book um, that you were talking about digital transformation and then you mentioned some people, you said something along the lines of you can't just maintain the status quo. And when I saw that, I was like, who in the world is doing that? <laughs>
1: Have you actually seen
0: people who are like, oh, we're just going to maintain the status quo and keep it cool?
1: Well, no, it's not not maintain the status quo. But the minute I think there is a sizable population who the minute we can go back to the way things were in December of 2019, they will jump at that chance to like, let's just get back to the way things were. And our key argument in the book is there is no going back to the way things were, or there's no going back and being competitively relevant. I think over the last 18 months, companies have developed so many new capabilities regarding digital, regarding experimentation, regarding working nimbly and agilely, that I think the next, whatever the hell we get out of this, and it was really challenging to write this book when it had to be submitted in December and not knowing what life was going to be like in September, um, that, you know, whenever we get out of this, I think the next three to five years is going to be amongst the most interesting, innovative. We we actually think the biggest disruption is yet to come is once we get, once we are not restricted and locked down and need to be careful, um, it's going to be a competitive, free for all uh and as a as a business school professor i'm looking forward to studying it um but if managers aren't prepared for that for employees leaving because they don't like your work from home policies whatever they are i mean there's like no right answer um and all of these new competitors startups that are going to come out of the woodwork i just think we are we are looking forward to a really interesting Three to five to seven years of business competition coming ahead. And I think we have only just scratched the surface at this point.
0: Oh, yeah. It's been crazy. Two of the things that come to mind for me are uh in my business. So we had, I think, two or three salespeople before uh the pan pandemic happened, and then we expanded and we grew a lot. And I think we had about seven or eight salespeople, and then um that went well for like a year and we grew the business. You know, we we doubled the revenue and it was awesome. And then about a couple months ago, like two months ago, I had, you know, four of the salespeople of like the seven, like essentially come to me and say, Hey, we want to go work back in an office again. So, you know, we're gonna take jobs in our local areas because they're open back up again. So no one t- no one talks about like um these small businesses, like people, everyone's talking about they people are upset because they don't want to go back into the office and i'm like that's not what's affecting my business the opposite just impacted me in a great deal and like i haven't heard anybody talking about that
1: it's it's age dependent i mean it's dependent on a lot of things but age is a huge predictor um my undergrads uh absolutely want to go work in an office because their apartments suck they don't necessarily like their roommates um they it's their social time of life and like it or not work as a social time, you know, da 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 da. the under 35 crowd doesn't like remote work. Me, I could never go back into the office and I would be absolutely, you know, I have my kids at home. I have a nice comfortable home office, you know, with transformation myth on the background here. Um, and you know, I'm, I love working from home. And so there are lot, and then personality is a different differentiator. And that's why I say there's no right answer here because everybody wants different things and the environment is blown up enough that they can find what it is they want. Um, and so I think it's an important time for organization, for leaders to sit down and say, what sort of organization do we want to be? What sort of employees do we want to target? How do we shape these policies to make sure we're appealing to those people? I also think we're a once in a lifetime opportunity to sort of Be very intentional about the type of organizations we're, um, we're developing. And I think if managers don't do and leaders don't do that thinking now of, you know, I, you know, if I were a betting man, I'd say January 2022 is sort of what we're looking at for the new normal. Uh, if we don't do some thinking now as to what we want that to look like, we're gonna mess some stuff up. Um, and you can't just say hybrid because there's like 25 different flavors of hybrid work, um, all of which have different pros and cons. And so I think it's a a non-trivial problem.
0: Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I can't even figure out what January 2022 would look like. I think on on one extreme, we let the government implant devices into us so they can just inject us with whatever chemicals that they want. (laughs) <laughs> and, right, because that's what I—that's one of the things that I like to take things to extremes to better understand them. And I was like, "All right, obviously, I'm a huge fan of like the technology and the vaccines because I've got uh, my brother and stepmom are both, you know, doctors, and we're nerds yep. and we're interested in medical advancements and things. So I—I th- I think those things are really fascinating. At the other point, I like. I build product my whole life and I know that like you shouldn't rush products and I know what happens when you do rush product. <laughs> and right. so like, it's this, it's this tug of war with me. But then I was thinking like with the vaccines, like, all right, you get the vaccine, but then there's like a new variant and then you get a, you get another vaccine and then you get a new variant and then you get a, it's like, how, when will this, if you, if that occurs, there would, uh, what would naturally be an emergent property of that situation would be a scale would be developed. Of severity, yes, right, and so I just like thinking about weird stuff like that because you know these are it's it's le- legitimately impacting businesses today, and business owners can no longer like not think about it.
1: Period. Period. <laughs> yeah, you just can't.
0: You yep. you have to think about it now, especially if you yeah. have over 100 so employees.
1: Just, <laughs> absolutely. Now, that's see that your employees leaving was a good thing, so you don't have to think about that. <laughs> um, but. uh You know my so I was talking another organization I talked to and I don't remember exactly which one went into the pandemic with ten employees. It was one of these businesses that experienced hyper growth Mm -hmm. because of of the hybrid ended up at a hundred. Well, what happened? What they first before the pandemic they were emphasizing their strong office culture. Obviously, they don't go back into the office, and when they ramp up from ten to hundred employees, they hire from all over the U.S. because the talent's out there, and now. Okay, as we're approaching the end, those early employees want to go back to that strong office culture, but then you have ninety percent of your company that doesn't live around you anymore, and so how, you just that you can't solve that problem uh, in the in traditional ways. Um, I actually think one thing we're going to see talk about the multiple vi- types of hybrids. Um, I'm pulling for like the destination organization where everybody works from home and then one week a month you go to new york la vegas um, and you have one week of on-site where everybody does all their meetings you go out to dinner at night and you have an intensive three to five days together and then you go back off on your own for another uh the rest of the month and do your your work on your own and then you money on offices um you can have some cool destinations uh, team building activities so you know there, there are creative ways to think about this uh, outside the box
0: so we were in person in office before the pandemic and then we all you know went out of the office and just worked from home except for me like i was the only one that would go into the office right because it was safe because no one else was there but yeah
1: because it was door yeah oh, the only
0: one. yeah exactly um but one of the uh the interesting things we did was we said all right well once a quarter let's just get everyone together and then we started getting more employees like i said we had that rapid expansion so we would like fly people in and so for us the resolution of quarterly worked pretty well and so that's what we do like at the end of every quarter we all get together in the same location and it will like you know we did one in uh nebraska where we had some people we did one in florida where we had and so we're finding these like interesting places to go and get together and because those relationships and the time you spend together is no matter no matter how many zoom calls you do you can't understand these employees that you've hired until you sit down and have a meal with them and like listen to them talking to each other there's just so much data there
1: yep. yeah there's a lot you you know I'm a big digital guy so I'm all for it and I still would not advocate a remote only organization because I think there's too much that you can, th- there's too much value in the face to face. Now, I think we overdid face to face before. It's like you don't need face to face for everything. You know, meetings are like one really good example, um, but brainstorming sessions, product planning sessions, coaching and mentoring. Um, it, serendipitous interactions that lead to innovations that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, none of that happens online uh, well. And so how do you create those environments um, to make it happen?
0: Yeah. Let's get back to, to making some money for your book here. Uh, we got, we gotta, we okay, got work to do, my friend. There are... Have
1: we even gotten the, the, the title in yet? So no, let's do transformation, it. The transformation myth leading your organization through uncertain times. Uh, And the transformation myth, well, one, we were riffing off the theme of our previous book, which was the technology fallacy. Uh, But the transformation myth, I I sort of described them as debunking the two together, debunking the two lies of digital transformation. The technology fallacy debunked the myth that in order to engage in digital transformation, you had to implement, it necessarily involved implementing new technologies. And in fact, what we found. Was that sometimes the more important changes were the strategic, the organizational, the leadership, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and didn't involve technology at all? The transformation myth is this: uh, debunking the idea that transformation is a one and done thing that you transform and then you are transformed. In this chaotic, in what is now this chaotic world, um, disruptions are the new normal. And in our, our epilogue, we we say. Look, it looks like September 2020 is going to be when the new when we're, when we're done with this. But, I mean, literally, we said, but there's some uncertainty about some variants out there right now. And if we're wrong, it doesn't disprove our book. In fact, it, it underscores that point that it's all about constant transformation. It's all about ongoing transformation. Um, and the great example, the, the quote I told you I would come back to, we were interviewing the CIO of CarMax. Uh, and he referenced an interview he did in 2016 when he took over. Um, and in that interview, he had a quote. He said, I don't know what the world is going to be like in three to five years. All I know is it's going to be characterized by constant change. And I need to build an organization that is is capable of adaptation and change at scale and at speed. Um, and he said, and that has worked really well for digital change. It worked really well for COVID as well. Um, And so I think that's sort of the core message is disruption and change is the new normal. Our old organizational structures are not good enough, are not flexible enough to make that happen. So we need to sort of invent new new organizations. We need to invent new leadership styles. We need to invent new ways of working that can be adaptable to dealing with these multiple disruptions wherever they come from.
0: That sounded so good, I mean
1: it's man that's my that's my go to pitch man,
0: yeah that's you you said it so eloquently, I was like this is uh this is making his media rounds, but that is really good advice though
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and it also is true, yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just I, I've become more and more convinced that you know this is' in, in fact it and I, and this is where I think the danger is, and I think this is where this book we were really worried about when the book was going to come out because it's like is this all going to be over and be yesterday's news? Um, is something else going to happen that's going to like completely make what we've said uh, irrelevant? Um, and in fact, I think September 2020, in the midst of the resurgence uh, of Delta, is the exact perfect time for this book to come out because the lessons are still... 2021. 2021, as I say, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look I've lost total track of what time it was well, like what year it is. You know what? Past, you know what buddy? You know, 18 months. When
0: you came on and you were like, yeah, last time we talked I was like, we talked during covid time just kind of like blends together. I couldn't remember if I talked to you before covid or after. I but I remember you because I I remember how I even met you is we were doing we had some interns do some research on like the best technology books and they gave me a list and I went through and read all the descriptions and out of all of them I was like that's the one. You know the, the technology fallacy. I was like, that's the one. That description means that guy knows what he's talking about. Let's have him on the show.
1: <laughs> well, that and I I have to give a shout out because um, my brother in law is a listener of your podcast, and I got a text from him. Was like, holy crap, you were on the Modern CTO podcast. It's like, yes, I actually do this stuff, man. So shout out to John Durkee there. Um, so as he's listening to the next time, but I got to get back on my tirade. My tirade okay. was. Um, you know, the Delta variant is the perfect time for this book to come out because we are still in disruption. It's emphasized that point that disruption is the new normal and there's still runway for leaders to start thinking about what they want their organization to be like going forward. And don't, if you're thinking about going back to, you know, December of 2019, don't, I think that's going to be the kiss of death for companies. Uh, And I see so many just clamoring for that what you need to do is is sort of bake in what you've learned over the past 18 months to make your organization stronger, more nimble, more stable going forward. Yeah, and so there's my sales pitch. There there's still I,
0: I'm curious. So we you think January 22 will be the new normal and now my question is did you when you were thinking about those uh, or at least it'll be more stable when you were thinking about those did you consider two things i've seen the first one is the chip shortage which i think that's pretty well publicized mm-hmm. so i won't yes. i won't go too deep into that one um but the second one is something that i experienced personally so i went to go buy this uh like build this garage on a on a property right and you just pour yeah. a foundation and it's steel garage and i yeah i'd gotten a quote and i went back and it was like Almost two hundred percent more expensive, and they said the price of steel has gone up like two, three hundred percent. Because here's what happened: when the when the everyone contracted at first, we all get that. And when we're in, mm-hmm. you know, professional services, that looks different than when you're in manufacturing. They just like go home and they stop producing steel. Yep. And then they came back. Right. But there was such a massive demand from everyone buying grills, you know, doing these mm-hmm. home projects and then the car and then so it created this huge demand of the steel. And they didn't have like a ton of inventory because they had stopped working for several months, and now the price has shot up. So, like when you're thinking of those dates, you think that's how long it's gonna take for like the ripples to kind of even out?
1: Oh uh, gosh, that's so hard to say because. Supply chains globally are just so screwed up, um, in and in all sorts of weird industries. Um, I do think companies are going forward are going to focus more on supply chain flexibility and robustness rather than just supply chain efficiency, because we've underscored the importance of that. You know, I don't know. Maybe chips are still going to be an issue, um, but I think. And when I say we're getting back to normal, I think I'm seeing it more of like offices can open back up and you oh, okay. can start to Got get it. back to normal. And I still could be wrong. I mean, Lord knows at this point I'm not making any predictions.
0: Okay, um, so you're saying whatever it is you when you were when you were saying that information, obviously I took it as like business model too, but you were kind of delivering it as. The social, there's only really so many options for the humans, right? It's either in office, yes. not in office, hybrid. And so, by 20, by January 2022,
1: that should be figured out. Um, yeah, well, not figured out, but then you will be. I'm hoping at that point, COVID isn't going to be the determining factor. At that point, we will have people who are going to get it will have gotten it, the people who are going to get vaccinated will have gotten it, um, and people who are going to die will have died. You know, like it's going to work itself out, so that whatever January 2020, 2022 is, um, is the point where the new COVID equilibrium will be. You know, does it always go away? Who knows? Um, are we dealing with it like the flu? Who knows? But I think at that point, and again, we could see a new variant. Let Let's hope not. Did you see um, the latest
0: one, the Mu M U or whatever? One?
1: Yeah i you know some of this i would take all with a grain of salt that you know you could you can sell an article yeah you can sell plenty of articles just talking about the latest uh variant of of fear one one Uh, thing's for
0: sure is that every kid growing up today uh in their science class they will death whether they're in the science class paying attention or not they will understand the concept that like viruses mutate (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That that lesson is going to stick for a long time from here on out.
0: Oh yeah, I looked it up. I googled when I saw that like new thing. I was like, Oh, is this real? And then there was a list of like fifth There's like 15 different variants. It's just some get popular enough to hit our media circuit, right? Yeah. And so we were like, Oh, there's one, and then there's two. And it's like there is this whole spectrum that you can go look up of all these different.
1: Yeah. And I think there, know. I think there are actually multiple types of the delta variant mm-hmm. too, yeah. like sub sub variants. So. This is not. Uh, I don't know any more than the next guy. I just read the, what I see on. Of course, Twitter's been a really good source, you know, of information because, like, there are some real bona fide scientists out there tweeting their hearts away about sort of the latest and the greatest. And so, I found it to be a really helpful source of. It. You got to vet to make sure that people know what they're talking about because it's also a huge source of misinformation. But uh, I've learned a lot, sort of following. Knowledgeable people on Twitter about this.
0: Yeah, I like that too. I like that's just a byproduct of the internet as well. Just being able to follow these people in real time versus waiting for a publication cycle. But um, absolutely. Speaking of publication cycles, how can we buy your book?
1: Ah, it is available now on for pre-order. Well, I don't know when this is coming out, so it will be available on September twenty-eighth, I believe, uh, on Amazon or at a bookseller near you. Um, the tech, the transformation myth leading your organization through uncertain times.
0: Are you sure it's not available right now? Because I think I it's pretty, certainly
1: available for pre-order.
0: Oh, that's what it was. Cause I looked it up. Um, I was looking at it yesterday and I was like, there was a buy button on it. So, and did you click that buy button? Joel? I did not. I said, I'm going to talk to him first to see if it's any good.
1: also this episode is going to come out in october so the book is out it is out
0: (laughs) it is out Uh, there is a question i have for you about the book i do i actually i actually have a question about the book
1: (laughs) got it that that works well if you send me your um your address i will be happy to send you an autographed copy of the transformation myth.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to purchase a copy and then you can send me an autographed copy because I, I want to contribute to you and your success and your team. And I, I know what it's like to write a book. It's a lot of work and it's expensive and it's a big, it's a big part of life. So I want to support that. And I, I love that you wrote another one and so many people approach me and they're like, I'm going to write a book. And I'd say like 0. 0.001% of those people ever actually like do. Yep. So I I like what you're doing and I want to support you.
1: We're actually having a conversation about our book three coming out <sighs> with the same author team, because, because we do think that starting in January, 2022, this is going to be in a whole new chapter. And so we investigating how companies and leaders are responding coming out of COVID, I think it's going to be an even th- another story, but you had a question. and I Yeah. It.
0: Yeah. Um, All right, you mentioned. I I was telling my team, I said, All right, let's extract like either the table of contents or find the core themes of the book, like you had in the technology fallacy. So we could, you know, structure some conversation around that. And I found uh, in the description, uh, nimbleness, scalability, stability, and optionality. Now, instinctively, as the monkey that I am, right, I was like, All right, nimbleness. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I'm pretty good at that. Scalability, stability, those seem self-explanatory. Makes sense. But optionality, man, I have no idea. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, well, that's, you know, so I think that's probably the most interesting chapter of the book, certainly the most innovative. Um, and so we talk about, in in the technology fallacy, we talked about this concept of affordances, where technology, um, it's not the technology, what's it enables you and your organization to do that's important. Well, my my co-authors love that concept and they're like, let's run with it. And it was crickets once we released that. It's like nobody liked affordances. So now we're relabeling them superpowers. And so we we call these the... We, so it's all about branding, man. So it, these are the digital superpowers that have helped companies weather disruption. And optionality is the ability to sort of add on new functionality to your business uh, in relatively um, short order. It's really enabled by cloud. So as you move towards a cloud infrastructure, uh, it allows you to treat ca- technical capabilities sort of like um, a Lego set, that you just add on um, new capabilities as you need them. Really classic example is the restaurant industry. So COVID happens, the restaurant industry needs to pivot from an in-home or, or like a, a brick-and-mortar environment to a delivery environment overnight, most of them don't have uh, delivery infra- software infrastructure, and so they go to companies like we interviewed the CEO of, of Olo online ordering um, it, that that does this, and they actually had both uh, point-of-sale system in restaurants and delivery infrastructure, and they had to sort of pivot on a dime to fa- Focusing on one of those business models. So it was the ability to plug and play and add a new capability onto your business that you didn't know you needed. For most of us, it was Zoom. You know, it's like, okay, now we have remote conferencing or online ordering. And it's the ability to sort of create options to allow your organization to have new capabilities uh in, in rapid succession. Um, and then you know, Olo led us to talk to um the VP at a a restaurant chain called Portillo's, which is in the Chicago area. And people in Chicago love their Portillo's, apparently. Um, And they were able to sort of not only add on delivery, but add on call center functionality so that they actually did not have to lay off any employees in the pandemic. They just repurposed them to become call center employees and delivery drivers because this platform just enabled them to ramp up these capabilities uh very quickly and so that's and i, and I think that is going to be one of i think cloud is going to be seen as the game changer or the mvp um because if you ask me you know march of 2020 would the would the internet services hold up in with all the demand being placed on them i mean universities went all online overnight um, and they held up like rock stars in fact i interviewed the head of google cloud and i said did this surprise you um, and this is a cto audience so they're not going to be surprised but google maintains like n- amount, n- amount of computing power to run the internet nine times over at any given moment so this was nothing to them to, not nothing but they were able to hold up and so once we go to cloud and once companies go to cloud then this adding and dropping of capabilities very quickly becomes Something that they can do much more easily. And I don't think we're there yet, but when I interviewed the head of Google Cloud, I said, You know, are we in the golden age of cloud computing? And he said, No, because right now we're just getting people on. Once people are onboarded, that's the golden age because they're going to enable so much more options for your organizations and to adapt to changing environments on the ground.
0: Yeah, when I had done some interviews, I did a, like a series of interviews with different. Uh, digital transformation people that were like consultants um, actually mm-hmm. doing these technology transformations. And they said the hardest part was not necessarily like the appetite of people wanting to go to cloud. It's that to go to cloud, it's an entirely different employee base. Like it's a different human being. Like They use different tool sets, they have different workflows. So what they would do is they would actually um, take these employees that knew they had staff that knew how to do this and they would put them on location to help people go through these transformations but I learned about that and i also learned about like if you want there their services out there so if you want the capabilities of cloud but you have like private on-prem data there's mm-hmm. softwares and services that you can actually use to give you the cloud-like optionality but on-prem too so it's like this big shift of of working in this new way. I like, I like that word optionality. It's good.
1: It's, it's a TM, you know, trademark. Okay. So, so uh, I owe you a no, few <laughs> pennies now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. A 0.0001 cents. So
0: now nimbleness, how do you contrast optionality and nimbleness?
1: Well, nimbleness, um, is so optionality is the ability to sort of add on capabilities. Um, nimbleness is the ability to shift capabilities rapidly the great example of option of nimbleness i think is i got two of them one is marriott so marriott uh, and i interviewed this uh, guy named brian king who is executive at marriott and it was actually a great interview i mean you could just tell the guy was stressed you know i thought he was going to cry it a couple times in the interview just because they experienced a ninety percent drop off in demand. I mean, how do you lead through that? And the empathy that he was showing towards his employees was just was actually very inspirational. It was clear that he cared about what was happening to to this company and to the employees. Um, and he, uh, so what they did was they had this call center, which nobody was calling to make reservations. They um, repurposed the call center to help with uh New York state handling the massive uptick in empl- unemployment claims. So you took the same it was the same capabilities. So you're not adding new things to the organization, but you're moving this entire call center to to a different function and a different purpose all at once. So it's it's even different and we make the point that it's different from agility because nimbleness, you know, you can be nimble through like agile methods, but that wasn't agile. That was taking an entire division of employees retraining them for an entirely different purpose, and the and the technology enabled sort of you to reroute everything. Um, the other really great nimbleness one is um, uh, Hitachi Ventara, so manufacturing company that had done um, before the pandemic. They're working on modernizing and automating their their factories, so they put in a bunch of sensors and they you know really high tech factory floor. So. When pandemic hit, they went back and uh, basically had a hackathon. And over the course of two weeks, built into the sensors, uh, revamped the software to turn it into not only a factory floor monitor, but a social distance monitor as well, that they could monitor employees and make sure they were staying six feet apart. They actually had temperature sensors that they were able to calibrate to see if employees on the floor had a fever. Um, And so with the so you have this digital infrastructure, and you just repurpose that infrastructure um, for something else. Um, And when you have, you know, when you have the hardware in place, revamping the software becomes much easier these days. So you're not adding new capabilities on, you're repurposing your capabilities for new functions.
0: I like that. I like that. Now we have...
1: See, you just dismissed nimbleness. I did not. I asked you to (laughs) contrast. I asked you very politely to contrast them. (laughs) I love it.
0: Dude, you're great. I really enjoy talking to you. You have to write the third book just so we have an excuse to have you back on again. Just
1: an excuse to talk again. Yeah. Yeah, No, I said, you know, because I've done a lot of podcasts. I was telling Adam beforehand, you know, usually when I do podcasts, I can just sort of go through my talking points and it's pretty pro forma. You ask questions that other people don't ask. And we have, I felt like it was not like going to do a podcast, but catching up with a friend.
0: Yeah, no, that's the, that's the point. I don't know who's listening to the other stuff, (laughs) but I don't like that stuff. I like conversation and I like getting to know people and um, the audience clearly likes that as well.
1: Excellent. And you've been doing great. So it's like my first one was 197 and a year later, you're already at 400 and something. (sighs) It's crazy. You're just, you're, Turning them out, man.
0: Well, we did that shift, right? So I don't know if I described all of this to you the first time, but right when COVID happened, we shift from selling leadership content to selling mm-hmm. podcast sponsorships. And so that, yes. w- that was the shift we made. And that was our example of how we pivot during COVID. And so when I hear all these companies and all of these things, it's like, I have experience with having... I have experience with that moment and that feeling of Oh my goodness! What are we going to do? We have to act. We can't freeze. And then we have right. to make sure the actions we take generate positive cash flow so the business can exist. I've been through that, right? And so I get—I—I I can't imagine what it's like on the scale of like Marriott, right? But I, yes, if—if if it was, I would have tears as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's—it was, and I know we talked about it because I, one, I went back and listened to it. You were. You were able to to solicit out of me free some cons- free consulting advice on the podcast about how to manage this transition. So, um, well, thank you for the help. Kudos to you, absolutely. So, um, I'm glad it's some of it has paid off.
0: Yes, it's working, and we're growing, and now we're hi- we're hiring more salespeople. So awesome! Yeah, and we had we made enough cash and managed our money well enough during the months where we had a bunch of salespeople that we, our business didn't go down or get severely impacted when we had, when we lost some salespeople and now we have to cover the, that gap. So that's all very positive yeah. too.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear. Always like when uh, good people are successful.
0: Yes. All right. Well, we'll put links in the description for people to go buy it. But most people just open up their Amazon app, type in Gerald Kane yes. or the transformation myth, and it'll come up. And absolutely.